All right, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 11 today, Psalm chapter 11. And uh, children, you may be dismissed to Children's Church. And while you turn there, I'm going to get the PowerPoint going here, Keynote. Today we're going to continue um, our series, The Mighty God We Serve, and then we're going to be taking a break because... Uh, uh, the winter season or uh, Christmas season is upon us, and so uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the Christmas uh, story or elements of the Christmas story in the next four weeks, and so uh, we'll take a, a take a break from this. I'm not sure if we're going to um, uh, come back to this in, in the new year or not, um, but uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and at least uh, pause after this Sunday. Uh, this uh, series that we've called The Mighty God uh, That We Serve. Now, the last time we were together, not last week, last week was uh, Thanksgiving praise service, uh, but the week before that, uh, we, we talked about uh, the holiness of God. And so uh, what do we do? We, we went and we went back to uh, the two places in, in Scripture uh, where individuals stepped into the throne room of God and actually recorded uh, what they saw. And so we looked at Isaiah and we looked at John. And even though uh, these two individuals stepped into the throne room of God uh, hundreds of years apart, uh, still we see that there was something that was true in both of those accounts. So in both of those accounts, uh, we see the seraphim or the living creatures, that there are creatures in heaven worshiping God and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And so we talked about that idea of, of that repetitive holy, the fact that it was uh, repeated threefold, uh, gives priority and emphasis to God's holiness. And so in respect to God, holiness means not only that he is separate from all that is unclean and evil, but also that he is positively pure and thus distinct from all other, all others. And so really God is separate from his uh, creation and, and holiness is what separates him from his creation because we are not perfect. We are not righteous. We are not completely or perfectly just. And really, as we think about uh, God's holiness, there are two moral, um, moral attributes that flow out of God's holiness as, as to do with man, and that is his righteousness and his justice. And so we could say that there are two attributes that we can observe that we see work out of God's holiness in respect or relation to man. And so when we look at how God's holiness, because remember, God is completely holy. And so when you think of complete, that is the idea of perfectly holy, completely holy. And what comes out of that holiness in respect to mankind is we see his righteousness and we see his justice. And so that's actually the topic for today, God the righteous judge. And the reason why I have us here in Psalm chapter 11 is because David writes about something that is happening in his life. Some really, some things, some crisis that's happening in his life that really, whether it's coming from within or whether it's exterior, whether it's counselors are telling him, that really they're saying, David, you are in a bad situation. 
you need to run and hide. But in chapter, I'm sorry, Psalm 11, we don't see that David goes and runs and hides. Instead, he has confidence in the Lord. And why does David have confidence in the Lord? Because the Lord is a righteous judge. And so that's one of the reasons why we're going to be looking at that passage today. And so we're going to just read just, uh, just four verses this morning to get us started. And so if you'll stand out of respect for God's Word, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 11. Psalm chapter 11, and we're just going to read just a couple of verses here to get us started. And it says this in verse 1, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked have bent the bow. They have filled their arrows to the string, or they have fitted their arrows to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then drop down to verse 7. And David, as he's concluding this, he says this, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for the time that we've already had together. Thank you for uh, the worship. We pray that that would have been from a heart of worship, whether it was uh, through the music, whether it was through the giving. Thank you for uh, Michelle. Thank you for, for using her uh, for so many years. And, and I'm sure even before, uh, even before the mission field, you were using her right there uh, at home. And so, Lord, we also think about the fact that we don't have to be a missionary traveling the world to be used by you, but that you desire to use us right where we are, within our community, within our church, within our families. And so we thank you for the ministry of Wilton Bible Church and Wilton Christian School. We pray that today, as we open up your word, that you would meet with us, that as we reflect on the fact that you are a righteous and just God, that you are, right, you are perfectly righteous and you are perfectly just, that that would give us encouragement that in times of trial and the times of crisis, that we would rely on you, that we would trust in you, that you would be our refuge, as David says. And so, Lord, meet with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. In our passages today, we see God's holiness in action as a righteous judge. And so, as we get started today, we do need to define a couple of terms, right? And so, the very first term here is, is righteousness. What do we mean by righteousness, or what does the Word of God mean by righteousness. Well, righteousness is, is connected to law. Oftentimes when we think of righteousness, uh, we think of doing the right thing. But of course, if you don't know what the right thing is, if it hasn't been stated, then, then how do you know whether or not that is the right thing to do? And so righteousness is actually connected to some type of, of law or some type of set ex expectation, all right? And so it could be a moral expectation or a moral law, but it could also be a relationship expectation. 
So this could be between a, a husband and a wife, how a husband treats a wife or how a wife treats a husband. And so there is a, a righteous way of going about that. And so when we think about righteousness, oftentimes we think about doing what is correct or what is right. And oftentimes when we think about God as righteous, we say he's always doing the right thing. But to be able to do the right thing means that there must be a wrong thing. So there must be a standard in which we say something is right and something is wrong. And so righteousness is connected to this, this uh, expectation, this law, we might say. And so in relation to God, there is no standard or law present within the Godhead that would violate his nature. And so when we think about God, God does not trespass against his own law, all right? And so God is perfect. He is perfectly righteous. Matter of fact, as, as we think about here in verse 7, and we, we read this in our opening, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And so, God is righteous. He is perfectly righteous, and He loves righteous deeds. He loves when we are right with Him, when we do what is right before Him. Now, in another psalm, David says this, and this is actually, if you want to turn back in your Bible, this is Psalm chapter 9. In Psalm chapter 9, it is a, it's a longer psalm, and uh, we covered it on one of the Sunday nights, so that's why I decided not to go there this morning. But uh, it deals with something that is very similar when you think about God's justice and God's um, righteousness. And so it says this in verse 4, it says this, You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. And so David here is, is, is also going through uh, some, some conflicts, some trials here, and, and he's, he's reminding himself of who God is, that God is a righteous judge, and what he does, he does in an upright manner. Matter of fact, David says that a little bit later on there in Psalm chapter 9. And that brings us to that second part. As we think of what David says here, giving righteous judgment, that brings us to that second part of justice. Now, righteousness and justice really go hand in hand. We can say that righteousness is a standard, and justice is what happens when either you uphold the standard or you break the standard. And so righteousness is that standard. Justice is what happens when you break that standard or uphold that standard. And so justice is also the quality of being free from favoritism, self-interest, bias, or deception. And so true justice cannot be bribed. True justice happens in the correct way. And so it is the action or legal decision which establishes a person's righteousness. That's what justice is. Now let me give you an illustration, an illustration that many of you are familiar with. All right? For Thanksgiving, me and my family, we went to the coast. My 
Uh, my dad lives in uh, Templeton, and so we went uh, over to the coast and, and had a good time with family and friends there. But you know what? As I traveled from here down to Templeton, guess what I saw all over the place as I traveled? I saw these signs on the side of the road, and it had numbers on there. Now, aren't those good recommendations of how fast you should go? No, they're not recommendations, all right? They're called speed limits, and they help people to drive in a safe fashion. And so as I was driving, driving down, we, we got on 99, and then we cut over on the 4, went over to the 5, and then it was like smooth sailing uh, on, on 5, going uh, 70, maybe a little more than 70, on, on down our way. And you know what? I saw all across the road those reminders of that speed limit. But you know, something else I saw, and especially in this one part of stretch as we got off of the 5 and we got on to 41, one of the things that I noticed was all of the highway patrol officers. And they were really, I think, I think when we counted, I think I saw five or six within this short area, and some were checking the speed, and this is what they were doing. That, that speed gun, that, that, that uh, speed detector, that was helping those um, law enforcement know whether or not you were driving in a righteous fashion or whether you were trespassing against the stated speed limits. And you know, I saw people on the side of the road and there was a cop, and he was reminding them of that speed limit driving through there. Now, this is this idea of righteousness and justice. If you have a law, but you have no enforcement, then people don't obey the law. People don't obey the law. Matter of fact, there are still some laws in counties that are not enforced, and they've been on the books for years, and if I brought them this morning, we would all laugh at some of these laws that are still on the books and why they're still on the books. So when you have a law but it's not enforced, people don't follow those things, and so when you do enforce them, and, and trust me, when I saw those highway patrol people on the side of the road, it was a reminder to me that that's speed limit there is not a recommendation, that they're going to pull me over if I'm going too fast. And so I very quickly, very quickly began to drive in a more righteous way as the speed limit <laughs> tells me to, all right? And so that is the idea of righteousness and justice. Those highway patrol people, they were telling people by giving them a ticket, potentially, or we're giving them a warning uh, to tell them, hey, you know what, you need to drive the right limit. Matter of fact, this is not even my notes, so this is free this morning. When, when I first moved here to Wilton, I think I'd been here for two days, I think. Moved over here, I was here for two days, and uh, my family went out, I think probably went out to Walmart, we were coming back, maybe we got food, we were coming back. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was happy, I was, I was cruising down, and then I hit the 35 mile per hour out here on, uh, not Wilton, uh, Grant Line. 
And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cruising along, and um, I see, because there, there was a little bit of traffic, I see over to my left two police officers on motorcycles. And about that time, I look down at the road, and I see that 35, and then I look at my speed pedometer, and I'm not going 35. I'm going much higher than 35. And then I see that motorcycle cop do this. I've been here for like two days. And sure enough, he pulled me over right there on Grant Line, right before I got to Wilton Road, and uh, welcomed me to the community. <laughs> no, actually, he, he said, do you know how fast you were going? And I said, yes, I know how fast. And he said, do you know it was 35 miles per hour? And I said, well, I knew that when I saw the ground. I, I said, I just really just moved here. I've only been here for two days. And uh, he let me off. He was, he was kind. He let me off with a warning. And he welcomed me uh, to the area. <laughs> he really did. He welcomed me to the area and uh, let me off uh, with, a, with a warning. And so there is a righteous, that, that idea of righteousness means that there is a standard. And that righteousness points out a standard. And that justice is that penalty or... Or it is that reward or blessing that goes with that. And so it's either upholding the standard or violating that standard. So now that we have an idea of righteousness and justice and how they connect and then how, they, how we see it in, in God's, uh, as far as how God interacts, now we're going to see uh, here in Psalm chapter 11. And so first of all, we're going to see the crisis. First of all, we're going to see the crisis, and so David did go through many trials in his life, and as you read through some of the Psalms, uh, you, you realize that to be true as you read through his own life as it's recorded in the Word of God. You know that his life was not easy. Being the king of Israel was not an easy job, and uh, so, so things, uh, things were difficult, and, and here we see a crisis that is happening in his life. Now, we don't know exactly when this is happening, all right? So, we don't know whether, we just don't, we just don't know what crisis, as we kind of study through David's life, we don't know what crisis is happening for Psalm chapter 11. But that's, that's not the important part, because it's not this, this Psalm chapter 11 is not about the crisis. It, it's not about the trial. Instead, it's about his confidence in a sovereign God, in a righteous God. And so that's what we're going to see. But before we, before we get to that part, we do want to look at the crisis. And so notice here in verse 1, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? All right, so first of all, David's getting some bad counsel. All right, he's getting some bad counsel. We don't know for sure whether this is an outside influence, uh, whether it's some people that maybe were close to David and, and they were saying, David, things don't look good. You should probably retreat. You should hide. You should go to a place that's maybe a little more friendly towards you right now. Let things kind of calm down and then maybe come back. We don't know if this is an outside or if this is an inside. This is, a, this is a flesh or a sin type of thing because it's very easy to know that maybe in that situation that maybe that would be our temptation as well. Well, maybe 
I should go and run and hide for a little time, let things kind of simmer down, and then, then come back. And why do I say that? Because we all do that sometimes, right? When we know when we're in trouble or we know that we have a strained relationship with someone, we have a tendency maybe to stay away from that, from that person. We don't want to cross paths. And so we already have that t- tendency, and so it could be uh, that, that uh, this, is, this is an inward trial that David's happening, or it could be an outward. Either way, that's bad counsel, whether it's coming from the inside or from the outside. This idea to go run and hide, find a better place that is more friendly to you. And then we see why this counsel is happening. So we see that real threat, and so look at verse 2. For behold, the wicked bend the bow... They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Now, I love the pictures that we have here, the, the description that we have for, for David and, and these, these wicked enemies. So, first of all, notice they've bent the bow. All right, so these, these, these individuals, uh, they're not confronting David. They are doing it from a distance. Not only are they doing it from a distance, but they're doing it in a secretive fashion. For uh, notice, they shoot in the dark. So they shoot in the dark. So these people, they they don't want to be known. They're, They're attacking David. Maybe it's because this is like an ambush type of thing. Maybe it's a surprise attack. Or maybe it's a character assassination. And so maybe David doesn't know where it's originating. But these these accusations are being flung towards him. And and it's things that are happening when he's not around in the darkness. And and so maybe it's causing some, some real problems. There are some real threats to David. Whether they're actual arrows or whether they're accusations, there are some threats to him as king. And so this is why there's this counsel, whether from the in, from within, or from without, that is telling him, hey, you know what, maybe you should leave. Maybe you should run to safety. And then we see that there's this, this possible conclusion, this possible conclusion. And, and so notice here in verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what uh, what can the righteous do? And so that, that word uh, foundations, David is kind of going through the what-if scenarios here. Now, this is our temptation as well. Oftentimes we go through the, the what-if scenarios when we're going through a trial, we're going through a crisis, and then we start going through the, well, what-if, and so we begin to go down that what-if. And that's what, that's what David is here doing. He's going down the what-if scenario, and so he says, if... The foundations are destroyed. Now, when he talks about the foundations, what he is probably speaking of is the just rulers in Israel. Those people who were actually doing the right thing. Those people who were acting in a righteous way. And he's saying, what if they are removed? What if they are killed? And if they are killed then the lawless part of Israel will run amok. They will do whatever they want. 
And so those lawless Jews will have free reign. And so David says, what if those foundations are destroyed? And he follows it up with that next question, what can the righteous do? Should he go and run and hide, or should he trust in the Lord as a righteous God? And so David's kind of debating here, and it's not really a debate as you kind of read through the whole thing. He asks the question, and probably the question is more to cue our brains, what would we do in the midst of a crisis? Do we run and hide, or do we press forward. And so David, in that one if, he, he sees that bad counsel, he sees that real threat, he sees that possible conclusion. But according to verse 1, look back there at verse 1, he says this, in the Lord I take refuge. So he's not going to run. He's not going to flee. He's not going to find the people that are more friendly towards him. Instead, He's going to continue doing exactly what God wants him to do. He's going to continue forward as God wants him there. And so he takes refuge in the Lord. So that part, second part of this psalm points to God as that righteous judge. And the very first thing we see is God's holiness and power. And so look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says this. The Lord is, is, uh, the Lord is in His holy temple the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. Some, some other good descriptions here. And so first of all, I, I should point out, it says the Lord is in his holy temple. Now, this could either mean uh, his, his place of dwelling in, in heaven, or it could mean the temple on earth. I believe that what he is saying is that holy temple on earth that tabernacle. And so I believe what David is saying here is the Lord, the Lord is there in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, and that that is really a picture of God's leadership on earth, His presence on earth. But He doesn't stop there, right? And so He goes on to say this, the Lord's throne is in heaven. And so He, he gives this picture that God has authority on earth, but then God also has authority in heaven. That is, complete authority in heaven and complete authority on earth. And I believe that's what David is saying here. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And then notice what he says, his eyes see. And then, interesting description here, his eyelids test. That, that word eyelids there is the idea that he is focused, that he is concentrated, that he is looking. And so what does David say? Well, remember just previously he says, I have these enemies, and they're getting their bows ready, and they're stringing their arrows, and, and they're doing it from a distance, and they're doing it in the dark, so I don't know who they are. But then he reflects on this, but God but God sees what's happening. God knows who these individuals are. Though they do things in the dark, God still sees. And so he is reminded that God is ultimately in power, that he is ultimately in control. 
that he has sovereign control over the situation. And so, David might not see the arrows coming. He may not see the, the, the wicked. They might be hidden from David, but they are not hidden from God. For God sees the affairs of man. And nothing in heaven and nothing on the earth can happen without God knowing prior to it happening. So David finds himself in a crisis, but he rests in the Lord, the fact that the Lord's eyes are seeing what is happening in Israel. So sometimes this is our temptation as, a, as Americans, and, and we really do have so much to be thankful for. But this, is, this is our temptation as Americans. Oftentimes we are tempted to think about some of the things that are happening either in our federal government or in our our state government, or maybe our local government. And, and this is what we are tempted to think. Does God see what is happening? And if God sees what is happening, how come He is not changing things? And you know what? When we think those comments, or when we say those comments, really what we're doing Really what we're doing is we're questioning God's character. We ask the question, is God holy and righteous? Is He perfectly just? And then we also ask the question, is He sovereign? And so, you know me, I think it is right to go out and vote and to make our voice known but we should never fall into the what-if scenarios and allow those things to control our lives. Because we stand with David here. David is in crisis. David is in trial. But you know what? He stops and he reminds himself, I might not see the workings behind the scenes, but God sees. And God is a righteous judge. And so we rely on, on the Lord we realize that ultimately He is control. God is holy. And from His holiness, we see God as a righteous and just God. And then we see, this brings us to our, the purpose of the crisis, which is God the righteous judge. And so first of all, we, we see that purpose for, uh, for the righteous. And so notice that first thing is, is that righteous. And we see that in verse 5, the very beginning of verse 5, and it says this, the Lord tests the righteous. Now, sometimes when I, whenever I see uh, this idea, and I, I think to myself, the Lord tests uh, the righteous. But this is not, this is not a pass or fell. This is actually a personal assessment. Because God already knows where we have placed our trust, right? So, God already knows in, in the midst of trials, in the midst of crisis, whether we're going to run to Him or we're going to run to something else. And so, when trials present themselves, when crises present themselves, it's actually a personal reflection. We could say it's a practice test or maybe a take-home test. Instead, it's a reflection, where do I place my hope? Where do I place my strength? Is it in my money? Is it in my relationships? Is it in my health? 
Is it in something besides the Lord? If that what if that I've been dreading, if that what if happens, could I run to the Lord as my strength? Would I run to the Lord as my strength? And I know as we sit here today, we want the answer to be what? Yes. A wholehearted yes. If, if that what if that I've thought over the years, if that what if was ever to happen, I hope I want to run to the Lord, and that's really relying on the Lord, and it's relying on who He is. It's a reminder of who He is and claiming those promises, and that deals with what? Faith. Remember, we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. So, we might look out, and the crisis might seem big. The trial might seem big. But God is there as the righteous judge. And so the Lord tests the righteous. This is for a personal evaluation. Do we truly rely on the Lord as, as we think we do? Or do we have a temptation to rely on others? And, and then he turns his gaze from the righteous. And he begins to talk about the wicked. So we see this in that second part of verse 5. It says this. His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Now, this is another really strong word. His soul, that is God, hates the wicked. Now, immediately we, we are used to, to, to the New Testament. We're used to this idea that God loves what? Sinners. But you know what? God does not love sin. He loves His creation. God does not love wickedness. He loves righteousness. And so here we actually see God's righteousness and His, His justice coming through. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked. This comes from the fact that He is perfectly just and he is perfectly holy. He is separated from all uncleanness. And so the picture here is those in Israel who are acting in a wicked way, those who are taking advantage of others, those who are, who are showing violence to one another. And David says here, but his soul hates the wicked. And so that should give us a pause in thinking about where we were prior to salvation and where we would be without Christ. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about the fact that without Christ we have no hope. We have no hope. So David here, I believe, he is trusting the Lord. He is claiming God's promises. He is claiming who God is, the fact that he is a righteous judge. And, and then notice that picture that we're given in, in verse 6. Let him, that is, let God rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. And, and this whole idea is, is, may God's wrath be upon these people who are going against the Lord, who are, are doing things in an unrighteous manner. 
May God's judgment, and, and, and really as, as we think about this, this fire and sulfur here, uh, maybe what comes to our mind is, is uh, what? Sodom and Gomorrah. The fact that they were doing things that were not right, and that God did in His perfect justice, because He is perfectly holy, he brought judgment, and he rained down that fire and that sulfur, and, and, and he destroyed that city. And, and as David is reflecting on what has happened in the past, David is saying it, it is possible that this, this could happen now. And, and sometimes in life, we, we might be tempted to think it seems as if the ungodliness of the world is kept or is not in check. And, and so we might be tempted to think, is God's justice even there? But this is the thing. We never see what God is doing in the background. We never know how God is working in hearts. And we don't see the future that God has for those individuals. It could be that they live a very terrible life here on, on earth. And they are very wicked people. And you know, God's justice will be shown them in eternity as they are separated from God in a place called hell. And it's not a place that I don't think God wants really anybody to go, but our sin is what puts us there. Because God is a righteous, He's perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and He cannot overlook sin. He can't say, well, you know, because I love you, John, I'm just going to let you get by at the pass. He can't do that because he's perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. And so, let's, let's, uh, let's conclude this today. So, let's recap. God is holy, and out of his holiness, we see God deals with mankind through righteousness and justice. Righteous is that standard of right conduct. Justice is the ability to declare a standard as either upheld or broken in a non-biased way. And so, as we explore uh, chapter 11 today, we found that David has confidence in the Lord during this conflict or during this this. Um, uh, trial because he realizes that God is a righteous judge. And even though our enemy might do things behind our back, and even though they might do things in the cover of night, truly God knows, and God's still in control. He is still sovereign of the affairs of man, and sometimes trials and crises come into our lives to show us where our faith is placed. And so we can run, we can try to hide from the problems. As, as David's counsel said, but instead David stood firm in the Lord because he realized that God was bigger than his current problems, that God was the one on the throne. And so he rests in the fact that God is a righteous judge. And so this is one of the reasons why he says this in the very first. And so he kind of starts with this at the very beginning. This kind of be like the bookends of, of uh, what he says here. In the Lord, I take refuge. And then he talks about the possibilities, and he talks about who God is, and this is his last reflection. For the Lord is righteous. 
and he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Now, as we stop and we think about God being completely holy, we think about God being completely righteous and completely just, of course, that puts mankind in a, in a, in a tough situation. Because we realize that we are not, we are not holy, that we do make mistakes, that we are not perfectly righteous, because uh, we just have to look down at our speed pedometers sometimes as we're headed down the highway, and we'll realize that we are not righteous, and then we are not perfectly just. Sometimes we do overlook things, but God does not do that. And so that's one of the reasons why we needed Christ. Because we could not be righteous in our own. Instead, Christ's righteousness had to be applied to us. And so this is what Peter says. This is 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. That is our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That is, Christ is the righteous one who lived under the law and yet never broke God's law. For the unrighteous, that is us, those who have broke the law, that he might bring us to God. And so outside of Christ, we have no hope because we are not righteous. Instead, really, we deserve God's justice. We deserve God's punishment or God's wrath upon our lives because God is holy and he is perfect. He is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous and perfectly just, and, and we fall short of God's glory. And yet, and we're about to celebrate this in the coming weeks, that Jesus Christ came. He came as as a baby born in a manger. He lived under the law in our place so that before God we could be righteous. And He died in our place. He took upon Himself God's wrath the wrath that we deserve, he took upon himself. He paid our penalty. And then he rose again to show that God accepted that perfect sacrifice. So now we have hope. Not because I am righteous, not because when I think about God's standard, I could say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good when it comes to God's standard. Because when I think of God's standard, I always fall short of God's standard. Instead, I say, you know what? I'm in Christ. My desire is to live for Christ. My desire is to live for the Lord. And so I encourage you, if you have never put your faith and trust in the Lord, and, and maybe you're going through this life, and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what? Yeah, but I am not as bad as... Let me just say, hey, we're all bad in some way or another. We're all unrighteous in some way or another. We have all fallen short. But Jesus Christ lived in your spot. And he died in your spot. So that you could live with God forever and ever and ever. And if you've never made that decision, we'd love to share with you how you could make that decision. Because the Bible says that you could have confidence like David has confidence. David, as he was going through this trial, he had confidence knowing that God is a righteous judge. And we can have that same confidence knowing that God's, or really Christ's righteousness, is our way into having a 
perfect relationship with the Lord as well. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you that really it's not our righteousness that gets us into heaven, but it's, it's, it's Jesus Christ who, who lived under the law and yet never broke the law, who died in our place and, and took upon himself uh, your wrath so that we would not have to endure your wrath. And that, Lord, just like David had faith in who you are, Lord, we look back at to what you have done for us, and we have faith in the fact that you lived in our place, that you died in our place, that you rose again, showing your victory over death, showing us that you were just who you said you were, and showing that God did accept that perfect sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that we can have a relationship with you. Though we are not righteous individuals, we may be righteous at some time. We may live under the law at some time, but we also often break the law, that, that standard of conduct. And so, Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. As David was able to say, I take refuge in you, thank you, Lord, that we can take refuge in you, for you are perfectly holy, for you are perfectly righteous, and you are a perfect judge. Thank you for what you have done for us, in Jesus' name, amen.